Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Nathan Pilon. Nathan is not only one of our agency's team members at Hollywood Branded, He's also a music artist and social media influencer who has built a very engaged following of over 4 million viewers on TikTok. His approach is unique and leverages his love of comedy and music, and he inspires others to be authentic and live their life at their fullest. His topics include a range of social issues, including mental health, LGBTQ+, and marginalized communities. Nathan started posting YouTube videos and Tumblr content when he was just 12 years old. And he learned how algorithms work and what type of content gets audiences actually engaged. Over the last seven years, he's used TikTok to build awareness of his own music and has created brand-sponsored content for a number of top brands and companies, including Triller, Bang Energy, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Atlantic Records, and so many more. In 2020, Nathan started the Influencer House Playhouse LA, where he lived in a California mansion and through brand-sponsored COVID-friendly events with companies like Jim Beam, Haritos, and For Real. Today, Nathan works with our team to use his knowledge to build influencer campaigns and help manage them. Today, Nathan and I are going to be chatting about what is needed to create a successful TikTok following and how brands can better work with influencers. We'll learn what works from Nathan's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Nathan, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on. You are very welcome. So for our audience, if you're not looking at Nathan, you need to go to his TikTok. Nathan, what's your TikTok? Nathan Pie Land. And then my last name is like Land of Math Pie. P-I Land. Pie Land. And when you're there, you're going to see that Nathan is a very colorful guy. And when I say that, he has a rainbow beard. Right now, he has purple hair. His rainbow beard has purple, blue, green, yellow, and orange in it. And he has a feather in his ear. So Nathan is a personality on top of being an influencer. And he is a very fun-loving guy. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be on. Um, I'm excited to talk about all things social media and TikTok and and all the stuff that we're going to get into today. Awesome. So what I'd like to start off is having you share a little bit about yourself and what got you to be this influencer and how you got here. What was your journey? Yeah. So um, I moved to Los Angeles when I was 21, um, which was a very interesting time to move to Los Angeles. I started on the app Musical.ly for my professional career, which got bought by ByteDance and turned into TikTok. I started a music career about three years ago, um, utilizing my following and pushing my market towards my music. I've worked with a lot of different brands um, as a consultant for social media. I'm now working at Hollywood Branded as a social media coordinator, which has been very fun. And I just really want people to be inspired by me to be their most authentic selves and just enjoy life to the fullest. Um, with nothing is off the limits. If you want to be a singer, you want to be a doctor, you want to be an astronaut, you can do it. It just takes hard work. So Nathan, what made you think that you wanted to be an influencer? Like, was there something about it or was it just that you really loved creating content? In like a sort of bittersweet way, 
I just had like no friends in middle school. I was a weirdo. Like I was, I'm still a weirdo, but in middle school is a little like weirder to be a weirdo. Um, so I just spent all my time on the internet, uh, watching YouTubers. Um, I would be on the computer for probably like 12 hours a day, just watching and consuming content. And I absolutely loved it. Um, I loved the idea of making content. So I was like, let me do this. All my heroes were YouTubers growing up. So I wanted to be one myself. And I started posting YouTube videos when I was 12. Um, and then Tumblr in high school was a thing for me. Um, and I've just always enjoyed creating content on the internet. And I have friends now. And I'm more like marketably weird. Um, but uh, still definitely weird. I think everyone should be embracing their weirdness. It's what makes right. you special. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So you started off in, you mentioned a moment ago with Musical.ly and that turned into a whole new adventure into the land of influencers because that was, that. can you share for anyone who doesn't know what Musical.ly is, can you share kind of what that was and the type of content and how it differs from what's content out there for today? Yeah, there's a lot of content on TikTok that would be kind of musically inspired. Um, but TikTok has such a broad spin of, of content for whatever you're into. Musically was just lip syncing. So you could do comedy lip syncs. Um, the primary lip sync type on Musically was popular songs. And so you would film a video in two times speed, which means the song was slowed down. And it was the cringiest thing to watch. But you people would just go and they would just move their camera around with their phone and do like a little dance thing um, and lip sync to the song. And it, it was pretty cool, but definitely TikTok, I think is more uh, it's more evolved. There's more room for different types of content, which I like. And there's more room for brands, right? Because Musical.ly wasn't really that brand driven at the time. It had some things. There was also yeah. a very young demographic um, that very was on young. the platform. Yeah, very young. Music artists would promote themselves on, uh, promote their songs on Musical.ly, but very few. And now, were you also on Vine? I was not on Vine. I was okay. a consumer on Vine, but I was not a Viner. And so, and Vine was that whole six seconds and then gone. So TikTok mm -hmm. is brought as something that's a little bit more robust because, you know, it started off as 15 seconds and now you can do 60 seconds. And so yeah. there's actually content you can make. You can make up to three minute videos now on TikTok. Can you really? That's awesome. Yeah. Long, long content, but short form does better typically. Okay. So when you work with a brand, how do you approach it? Like, how do you, do you reach out to brands? Do brands reach out to you? Typically, how do you create a brand partnership? Yeah, um, a lot of my brand partnerships have come from in-person uh, relationships mm -hmm. at different events or through friends of friends. Um, but a lot of them have also come from them emailing me or a management company emailing me about an opportunity um, or I reach out. Typically, I'll reach out to about, 10 brands before I get a secured brand deal, uh, like just one. Um, but typically if a brand comes to me, it's a way easier uh, success partnership rate. Well, because they're hungry and they're interested versus you kind of mining the field of being like, hmm, are you interested? I'm interested in you. Right. 
But at the same time, when you do reach out, and I, I think this is something brands need to understand that if you have an influencer knocking on your door and actually telling you that they like your brand, that it's an authentic fit for them, you're going to get content potentially that's better than when you're knocking on other people's doors. Correct. I agree with that. And when you're reaching out to brands, do you just say, hey, I'd like to work with you? Or do you come in with a strategy or how do you approach? So typically when I will reach out to a brand, I will let them know that I'm interested in their, their product or whatever they uh, are producing. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about myself, why I'm interested in working with them, the type of video I'd like to make, uh, typical, like a potential ROI, and then my one sheet which if you guys don't know what a one sheet is, it's just like all of my metrics, um, popular videos that I've done before, popular brand partners that I've worked mm -hmm. with and partner popular brand partnerships um, that have been successful. So things like that, my demographics. And, the, and all of that's available to you, obviously, in the background of TikTok that's open to you, that the brand might be able to have some access to through different software that they subscribe to, but not to the level of analytics that you actually have access to. Right. And then in the inverse, when the brand reaches out to you, what's the typical approach? To respond back to them? No, like if a brand, do they just like knock on you? Do they DM you? Obviously, they reach out to your manager as well, but... How are you typically hearing from brands? They'll email me a lot. Um, <laughs> if it's an email that just sounds really like I, I've learned how to vet out the bad ones. So some of them I don't even respond to. Um, but if a brand seems really serious and it, it seems less spammy, um, mm -hmm. I'll respond back with my rate. Um, if it they're very, very interested and they have a lot, their email is very long and it encompasses a lot about the opportunity, then I will take a lot more time in my response um, and potentially even giving them a video idea um, and what the partnership could look like from start to end. So let's dial into that a little bit more. So for all of your brands who are out there who are just like, oh, I'm going to shoot off, you know, a dozen different uh, inquiries or a hundred inquiries or however many inquiries as you kind of spam influencers trying to figure out who you're going to work with. What you're saying is if someone actually sits down, puts together a detailed campaign in the initial first reach out, you're going to take that more seriously than if it's just, hey, Nathan, we're interested in working with you. Right. Some people don't even and take the time to change the, the spam email to, hey, Nathan, they'll just be hi, whoever, you know, um, and that's a no good thing because I know that you're not actually interested in me. You're just trying to you're probably just spending this out to thousands of people or, or hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. um, but if someone actually takes the time to be personal with me, then I'm more likely to to want to work with them and, and then send them a, a carefully thought out response that would take me, you know, however long to write. Is there anything that are red flags that you see besides the fact that they don't call you by name and it's super, super short? If they have a lot of spell errors, and it seems like it's a might be like a bot. Okay. Or if they it's if it's a short email with a link to click where I'm like, I think you might be trying to get my information. Uh, like it might be a scam. So I won't even click the link if it looks suspect. So a website address, if you recognize the brand website, you might click too. But if it's a suspect, weird, bitly, random thing, you're just out of there. Yeah, because I've had friends 
lose their YouTube accounts just by clicking a link uh, from a, a brand sponsor, a fake one. Right. And that's happened. And that happens with YouTube. It happens on Instagram where you'll have someone take over the account and then mine it um, and push out and collect dollars from it. Yeah. And you can't ever get it back if they change your password. Yeah. Yeah. And then is there anything else that ever is like a red flag in the early days of communications with a brand? Um, usually I will try and vet out the rate kind of quick. Um, typically on TikTok, like I charge a $10 CPM, uh, which would be cost per thousand. Um, I like to know what a company, how a company values views. If it's something like a $1 CPM, I usually won't work with a company. Um, so I usually like to figure that out before we get to into the nitty gritty of emailing and back and forth. And so for our listeners who don't know about CPM, I know a lot of you guys do, but a CPM, Nathan already said, cost per thousand. It's tricky because it's CPM. And so you think that it should be million, but it's because of the Roman numerals. And so it is thousand. Um, but what it means is for, if he has a $10 CPM for every 1000 followers, he charges $10 in order to um, get in front of them. And so if you have a four odd million uh, follower base, that starts to add up. But a lot of brands will look at that and say, you know, is the engagement there? Is there, um, you know, that's the second area to drill down into what is the engagement? Um, is it real followers? In Nathan's case, it is real followers. He has very authentic real followers. Um, and there's a lot of you know, inspections that you can do to make sure that it makes sense. And as you just said, there's also people who come to you with a dollar CPM for you to be able to consider and say yay or nay and start negotiating. Um, when you're looking at the Kardashians, right? And they have just many, many hundred million plus follower base. 289 million is what Kim Kardashian has in history. Insanity right now. And so with that, if you are looking at a $10 CPM, all of a sudden that scales up to being just like in the land of ridiculous as expense. So that's where you start getting a little bit more ability to negotiate down. So there's a little bit more balance into the cost structure. And you're looking at dead accounts when you have, you know, 200 million accounts, you have bots, you have a lot of other things. So it filters down when you start lowering that CPM. And if you follow Hollywood Brandon on TikTok, we just did a TikTok about how Kim Kardashian charges about a million dollars plus equity per Instagram post. She And that plus equity is a new thing for her, by the way. So it used to be that she would just do the post. Now she needs a little chunk of the business that is built from that post too. Which makes sense. I mean, it's smart. She's going to build up the business. It's all a business. So a lot of people out there think influencers and they don't necessarily think that it is a business. They think that it's people who are just like, oh, and they're fun and free time, just making content, having the life online, showing off. It's not though. It's actually a true business. It takes a lot of time. Can you share with us how much time it actually takes to like ideate or the process, even if it's not time, like what's the process to come up with the content that you're going to be posting, whether it's branded or not branded? Yeah. I used to um, go to about three to four collabs a week. That would be about eight to 10 hours long. Um, and me and my friends would just trade off videos depending on how many there were. So one person would get a video and then it was like the next person's turn, the next person's turn. We would usually come up with our ideas beforehand um, our processes were all different. 
for my process uh, the night before or on the Uber ride over, I would be uh, looking through viral sounds or viral trends and then basing skits around those because my channel is a lot of skit-based videos. Um, but everyone's process is different. Uh, my friend Katya, she writes out her scripts uh, in like a typical like script form and she'll print it out and then she'll hand it to whoever needs it. And she has an actual video guy that she hires with a red camera. So that that's always a fun time. Does she memorize the scripts or is she using that and being able to actually we just on? read it as it goes? Um, we do kind of memorize it as we go. We'll like look over it once or twice before we film, but the shots are so um, the shots are are so cut up that it doesn't really matter. How does that differ when you're working with a brand versus just you know freestyling it? Even though you're coming up with strategy, is it the same process or is it a little different? Yeah, it's the same process. Typically, if a brand, um, if it's a good partnership and and they've we've been talking back and forth and we've really figured out a way to utilize their, what they want in their messaging on my channel, then I will take two to three times as long to come up with a video. Um, and then I'll make it, edit it, send it to them for approval. And then if they like it, I'll post it. And that can actually be a pretty lengthy process. I'm assuming. Yeah. Like a month, a month. That's not as long as I lose. They're going to be like, yeah, it's going to be like a day or two. So this is over a month that you typically have your turnaround. The for big ones. Yeah. The big ones. Okay. It's like a little one. It doesn't, um, it's not going to be given as much time because it's not as big. They're, they're not paying for like consulting and multiple edits and revisions, you know, and that is something that we have heard from influencers at length about revisions. How do you feel about revisions when brands ask you to do revisions? I don't like it. That's why I <laughs> usually make brands give me a down payment before I even con con uh, conceptualize the video and make it um, because I could make it with like no money down and send it to them. Like, we don't like that. Do this. It's like, well, I've already put in. 10 hours, um, like not to schedule another whole thing with and, and get everyone else's schedules aligned if, if there's multiple people in the video um, for them to potentially even say no again. So if there's a if there's a down payment down, there's a little more negotiation um, to, that can go into it. And so do you negotiate re-edits or reshoots with that kind of upfront? Yeah. And then if a brand wants to use the to license the video for a year, then that's also something that would be like an additional cost. And that's also something that all of you listeners need to clue in on is that you do not just get rights to the video when you do an influencer partnership. It does not mean it is yours to repost. It does not mean it's yours to embed in your website unless you've actually negotiated those deal points as part of the term of your agreement. And typically influencers are fine, which it should be communicated, but they're typically fine with you reposting. Um, but if you're going to run an ad campaign um, on YouTube or in movie theaters, which I'm speaking for personal experience for both of those, um, without telling them that's like not okay. And then you have to get the license for it. Um, but typically the brand partners I've worked with, they've been good about paying for the, the year license to use it as an ad. 
And so typically they would have rights to it for a year to put paid media behind it in whatever way. And then that year comes up and they either say, yes, we want to renew at an additional rate or the term closes out. Right. Are there any other things that brands should know when it's working with influencers? Are you? Influencers are typically younger. It's a very new, free-flowing industry. Um, influencers can be hard to communicate with sometimes, um, but giving them, I guess, like the benefit of a doubt sometimes, because influencers can be hard to work with um, in like a prideful way. Influencers think of themselves very highly. In my opinion, I think a little bit too highly, um, but not in a way of like how they price, but just the way that they carry themselves, I think is sometimes a little too, too much. But uh, when you go into talking, if you're going to speak directly with an influencer, not a management who's used to the, the business lingo, um, really dialing in with the influencer to make sure they understand their contractual agreements and uh, just all the things that, that they would need to know from a business standpoint. When you get a really big bulky contract, do you just go eeks on that? Or do you not any, you might not care anymore because you have a manager who can work with you, but like, does that send you like in recoil? Are you okay with super massive amounts of paperwork? Anything over a thousand, I just send to my lawyer. Um, so it, it's not like too, too bad. They'll walk me through it. Any parts mm -hmm. that are weird, uh, if there's needs to be like revisions. Um, but Typically, if it's like really long for something that doesn't need to be long, um, it does like weird me out sometimes. Like, are you trying to like, are you trying to throw something in there that I, you know, don't understand or something? Um, but I always just send to my lawyer anyways. And the big, big companies do have those, you know, typical lawn contracts. So it's if it's like a huge company, then it's like, OK, like I know Nike's like going to have like a long contract. What else? What is it that brands do that sometimes like raises your eyebrow and you're like, hmm, why do they do this? If they don't pay on time, um, if they're if they'll go back on something that they initially said, um, and it, like even if it's a small thing, like I had a brand that I was working with that um, said that if I turned in this one like survey um, or if I just turned in my submission for the, the campaign uh, by a certain date, I was going to get an extra $200, like right up front, um, which, which was like, okay, like $200. So I, I had turned it in by then. Um, and then without it being like put anywhere, uh, like listed as this was part of, of getting paid that extra amount. Um, they, I asked them about it, about the $200. And they were like, oh, well, you didn't message us about it. And I was like, well, I, you got the, you got the submission. You talked to me about that. So I just thought that was kind of shady. Um, Cause also it was just like, it's just $200. Like, I don't really care too much. You know, we have like more coming up. That's, that's more sizable than that, but it just seemed like weird business ethics to me. So, cause it's also like, just like, it's $200. Like, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. I think what happens at a lot of brands is that they get very entry level team members who are put in charge of their influencer marketing 
and they're not necessarily themselves so polished in the ways of business always and dialed in. And so then you have a young 20 something year old who is working with influencers of all ages. And a lot of influencers are young, but not always. And communication can sometimes go awry when it's just not as professionally dialed in. Yeah, definitely true. Is there anything else that brands do that you're sometimes going like, huh, this is interesting or that they could be doing better? Um, I think brands typically um, should let influencers help them make the content. A lot of times uh, brands will give a script or an idea um, and you could tell that it's just not by someone dialed into to the market of either TikTok or Instagram or, or whatever their the campaign is going to live on. Um, they're just not really that dialed in as a consumer slash creator. So the ideas that they come up with sound like like a mom from Facebook writing a TikTok video. And it's like, like my this video is not going to do well. Like you're paying me for like you want it to get views, but it's not going to do well because my audience isn't going to align with this content. It's going to seem so out of place and it doesn't even make sense on this platform. Um, so really, especially if it's going to be a, a big campaign with a lot of dollars behind it, really work with your influencers um, to help utilize the best ROI. You know, uh, you want to get the most ROI out of it. So work with them. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. They understand the platform. That's why you're hiring them. Um, so trust their expertise on that. And with that said, one of the best things brands can do is at least bullet out the main points. And it should be in your contract too. Like what is the main messaging? Not the words necessarily, not this is exactly what you must say. Right. But what's the message that this influencer has been hired on to do? Because what we've seen is a lot of brands fail to actually educate the influencer on the brand and what the goal of the campaign actually is. So the influencer is set up to fail from day one and cannot right. accomplish. Yeah, hundred percent. And some brands are, are like that, that at least I, that I've worked with where they're so set on their script that they send you. And if you, you, you'll send back like, Hey, I just, this is, I don't think this will work as well. Um, here's like another brand deal I did that that did really well. And it kind of like, maybe we could, if like there's certain guidelines or certain things you want me to hit, I could build something around that. And they're just like, no. So it's like, okay. I like, well, you're, you're paying me. Like, I'll just like, I'll make you the video. That's not going to do as well. And, and you're going to pay me either way, but it's, it's like, it'd be great to have more creative work uh, partnership, you know, in the partnership, because it is a partnership. Um, and, and you're hiring people for their expertise, not just their followers and engagement. And when you're doing an influencer deal, do you typically get on a call or a Zoom nowadays um, and actually talk and chat it out? Or is it really just pushed out through um, all email, all written, all exchanges? Email, text? typically. If it's a personal relationship, phone call. And what would you prefer? Email. But if it, if it is a personal relationship, then so yeah, like just call me. We'll figure it out um, okay. pretty quick. And when you are doing partnerships and building content, a lot of your a lot of your content specifically involves other influencers too. 
And so when you're doing a partnership with a brand, are you first telling the brand that it's going to be, you know, multi-influencers or is it really just up to you to kind of build out that creative if they haven't given you a defined script that you have to follow uh, line by line? Yeah, usually it's up to me um, and and I'll write a, a skit that makes sense um, with the deliverables and then I'll have some friends. I'll set up something with some friends and we'll shoot something that, you know, where that makes sense, where they're the characters that I've written. And for all of our listeners, the things that you're hearing Nathan say right now, you know, that he's going to write the script, that they're going to set it up, they're going to film. You have to understand that an influencer is all of those things that produce content in a movie or TV show. They are the editor, the writer, they're the actor, they're the costume, the makeup artist a lot of times. They're the full kit and caboodle. They handle all of it, whether it's themselves or with their team that they have, where they have to produce content that you, I guarantee, sitting at home would have a really hard time pulling together because it takes a lot. It's not easy to do. It's not just plopping yourself in front of a camera and just going and in one take, you're done and the content goes up. So there's a lot of value. We make it look easy because that's our job. But yeah, it's not, it is a lot. There's a lot to it. Yeah, I think one of my first TikTok videos, I'm pretty sure I spent four hours saying the same thing over and over and over again, just trying to make it like sound cool. And then of course it didn't sound cool because I made it sound, you know, too rehearsed. Right. it's not easy. Yeah, it, it is a lot. There's a lot to it. Um, and like for me, it it's kind of second nature at this point. But uh, it is I've seen I've been I've taught people how to do it um, from someone who might be a, more of a musician or an actor. And they're like, I want to get into this space. And I've watched them go through the same things that I went through when I was like 12 um, and in middle school. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's it isn't like just like a flip. So you have spent the last decade plus, because you're older than 22, right. which would be a decade, you said 12. I'm doing math in my head very, very quickly. But you've spent you know, the last decade and a half or so creating content. Like this is second nature to you. How do you think, you know, our world is going to like be as, as, as kids today continue to like almost from birth have their hands on phones and they're social and they're making content how are we going to change i think that um it's already kind of becoming a way where it's almost like everyone's famous um and i think though people are becoming even more and more and more addicted to content they just want and crave more and more and more content i think the traditional or the average amount of hours a user of TikTok spends on the app is about eight hours a day or, or maybe four, five hours a day, something, but something a lot. And that's the average user. Um, and that's just TikTok. You know, that's not including Instagram, Twitter. If you use it, Snapchat, people just love content. Um, so, and so the more people that are making it and they're making more different types of content, um, I think like the better in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is moving to a place where a lot of people will be making content more and more and more so. Um, and it'll just be a part of our culture. Definitely a, a definite new piece of our culture that anyone who I think is 40 plus is still wrapping their head around. Yeah. Yeah. We love sharing everything, everything, which I love it too. 
Um, but it is, it could be concerning. I just, I'm kind of just like go with the flow. Um, cause I do love sharing every part of my life, which, uh, some people aren't like that. So. So when you take a look at what you've learned to create content for your own brand, um, one of the things you've done with Hollywood branded is joined us to help us create better content for our brand, right? So you have a different way of looking at content and, and looking at how to create how do you think brands should be approaching creating their own content? Um, you know, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whatever platform it is, you know, what should they be doing versus what they're doing now? Yeah, every platform is a little different, um, but really get out of your comfort zone. Don't feel like it needs to be so rigid. Um, content is fun. So enjoy it. Uh, you want to make stuff that people can relate to slash feel connected to um so if you can create something that doesn't feel so rigid uh and makes people feel more open and friendly uh, and more connected to your content that would be the best way to go about it that i would say but there's so so many things that goes into creating content depending on what your brand is um, what your demographics are you know there's there's a lot that goes into it um but being willing to adapt, being willing to adapt would be the biggest thing. Um, and, and just being like a, a brand that people feel like they can relate to is really big. And when you say that a lot of content is rigid, are you, are you in your head? Is it, it's commercial? Is that rigid to you? Is that like the connotation or what does yeah. rigid mean? Rigid. Uh, yeah. It's very um, disconnected. Like it doesn't feel like you're a part of it. Um, it doesn't feel like this is something you could make. I love what Progressive's been doing with their commercials or like um, T-Mobile where they have the, like in Progressive, like they have a friend group that mm -hmm. is consistently in their ads. That feels very personable to me. It doesn't feel so um, disconnected. I, I feel more connected to it. I'm like, oh, I know these people kind of like, this feels homely and like friendly. Um, but there's there's a lot of different ways to to do stuff um you know like apple their their commercials are more cgi just showing the phone and how sleek and and amazing they are so there's a lot of ways to to go about doing it um but even apple they've been very creative with um i mean of course apple they've been creative but they've been very creative with making you uh with how they present it to you rather than just be like buy an iphone you know they're not just saying buy an iphone you should buy an iphone they're presenting it to you in a, a really cool, trendy, fun way. And it's a lifestyle and something you're going to be missing out if you don't buy an iPhone. Right. And for those who are listening, who have always wanted to be as successful an influencer as you are, including those who have yet to ever do their first TikTok, how would you suggest someone, you know, start? What do they need to do? Whether it's for a brand or whether it's for an individual, what's the first step? How do you figure out what to post? The first step to starting is to start. You just have to start posting content. You're not going to ever figure it out um, or, or post content if you don't do it. So the best way would really just to, to pick up your phone, film a video, whatever you think it, whatever you think that a good video would be um it could be something you see on on the internet already um or you know you and your friend had a funny dialogue that you're like that would have been a that's a good video um 
you know, just start posting content, post every day and, and you'll figure it out. Um, and you'll start to notice trends and, and it, it will never happen if you don't get started. I still want that episode of Black Mirror to come true where there's basically an implant and everything in your life is picked up. So all of the most funny moments that you ever said that you're like, oh, I wish I had that on camera actually would be cut on camera. I know that would be awesome. I would love to see my life as a movie at the end of it. That would be so fun. Well, all you have to do is go to at Nathan Pyland and you can pretty much see your life as it is now versus at the end of it, like a movie. And you can just keep on playing it one after another, after another. That is true. That is right. I didn't think about that. So I'll be good. I got all this content out. One part of your life's movie that you did was you did a stunt where you were pregnant for a year. What made you decide to do this? Like, what was the big concept and idea behind it? Well, me and my friend wrote that um, concept uh, probably five months before it launched. And we just had the idea we thought it'd be really funny. Um, I think pregnancy content uh, is super cool and interesting and different. Um, like, like YouTubers uh, who get pregnant, um, like female YouTubers who get pregnant and uh, they make a lot of pregnancy content. I was like, well, what if I did that? I would just make the same content, but as a cisgender male. Um, so I, I uh, had like a baby daddy who was my co-writer. And then I um, got like had an ultrasound, um, just did all the and like read what to expect and you're expecting and talked about it. Um, just all like the typical pregnancy content that you would see except as like a parody. And it was successful. It was, it was very successful. Um, I, when I gave birth live for four hours and in that four hours, I gained 250,000 followers, the most successful four hours I've ever had. And so you preempted Lil Nas X with his album launch of Montero, where he did the same stunt as a talk show host. It got so many millions of views. I'm, I honestly would have been surprised if like one of his marketing team didn't see that or Lil Nas X himself. I mean, it was all over the internet. Um, I still meet people today that are like, oh, you're that guy. Like, wait, you were the guy that was pregnant? And like, they'll, they'll remember that. And they'll be like, oh, you were. Oh, wow, that's so crazy. For last parting words of advice to our listeners today. What would you share um, for, let's look at three different parting words. One, if you're a brand interested in working with influencers. Two, if you are someone who would like to be an influencer yourself. And three, for the everyday of us who don't want to be influencers, but we kind of want to have some content that our friends and family see and laugh at. What would you do? Starting with one, the brand, what would you give as advice uh what they should know last parting words um if they want to create content mm -hmm. um or, or create content or work with an influencer i made it um, very confusing right now for you build build relationships um see what other brands have done mm -hmm. and what has been successful and then try and replicate that in your own way okay and if you are a want to be influencer or an influencer already, 
or someone who's a couch influencer, what would you suggest to them? Just get started. People always say, I want to be an influencer, I want to be an influencer, but they're not posting any content. Mm -hmm. So you just got to, you just got to start posting content. That's honestly the hardest part. Um, it's just, you just got to start filming and doing it and posting it to the internet and don't second guess it. You know, it might not go huge right away, but you just keep posting content and then you'll figure it out. And how often should you be posting this content? Every day, post every day. Every single solitary day. Every day. That is a lot of content. It is. So Nathan, thank you so much for coming on today. Greatly enjoyed having you. Of course. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have any questions at all about working with influencers, celebrities, TV, film, or music, reach out and our team will be able to give you more knowledge about how your brand can power and drive your sales through partnership marketing with pop culture. I look forward to chatting with you then. Take care.